we're a team right now that is two-thirds new. There's two-thirds of the team that have been at the company for three months or less. And when you're working with so many new people, it's so important to be transparent. And my motto is radical transparency in everything that I do. B2B Content Strategist is the podcast where you'll hear actionable advice and strategic guidance from content marketing leaders. I'm Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X, and I sit down with leading B2B marketers to discuss how they overcome challenges with limited time and resources and execute winning campaigns time after time. If you want to improve and streamline your content marketing, keep listening. Hello and welcome to this episode of B2B Content Strategist. I'm your host, Amy Woods, founder of Content 10X. And in this episode, I am speaking with Inbar Jaeger, who is the Director of Content and Product Marketing at Lucia, where they help B2B sales and marketing teams find the right prospects and provide buyer intelligence so they can reach them in a personalized way. You are going to really enjoy this episode. Inbar and I had a fantastic conversation. Inbar shares the joys of building a content marketing engine from scratch with the resources of a tech unicorn. She also talks about her unique approach to the hiring process and why she's so passionate about it. We also dive into the dangers around AI and her biggest concerns around that. Inbar is full of brilliant insights, tips and information. It's a great conversation. Let's dive in. Imbar, welcome to B2B Content Strategist Podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. I really appreciate time. I know we're going to have a fantastic conversation. (laughs) So to get going, could you tell us a little bit about your role, but also a few sentences about what um, Lucia does as well? Sure. So quickly about Lucia, we help go-to-market teams, B2B sales marketing teams, find the right prospects and give them buyer intelligence so they can reach them in a personalized way and at the right time. Um, So marketers use us for list building and enrichment of their contacts. We have uh, like buying signals like intent data, which help go-to-market teams identify who's in market for their solution. And then we've got a really useful extension where you can see basically people's contact data and company info anywhere on the web in a way that's easy to find. That's basically it in a nutshell. (laughs) <laughs> Who are the typical customers then that work with Lucia? Obviously, it seems like a very broad, but is there a main type of ICP that you work with? Yeah. So our core user base are sales teams. We're very much a product-led growth company, and really the majority of our day-to-day users are sales development reps, business development reps, account executives, account managers. There's, there, there's also used heavily by sales operations as well. Usually, like the decision maker in most of these cases are chief revenue officers or VP sales. And then and then marketing is also it's a less common use case, as is recruiting. So we do actually have a nice chunk of recruiters. But in terms of our ICP, um, it's mostly like sales teams are our primary customer. Yeah, completely makes sense. And as director of content product marketing, could you summarize a little bit about what your role entails? Sure. So it's fairly broad. I came into Lucia actually at, at a kind of a pivotal moment where we moved our strategy, but expanded the strategy to be way more B2B focused and really build product offerings for the enterprise. And we're doing that really well 
today, I was brought in to basically reposition the product marketing team to be more enterprise focused. And this is interesting, build a content marketing program for the first time. So Lucia has been around since 2016. It's a long time. But for most of that time, uh, we have been pure PLG, product-led growth. And so all of the work that we were doing was in user acquisition, brand, and there wasn't really a good content marketing program in place. Like we've had SEO, we've had content managers, but nothing that was really a focused strategy to drive pipeline. And I've been at Lucia for eight months. I'm, we're building something, just me, I've got a content team now, and we're build, basically building a content marketing engine from scratch, which is cool to do in tech unicorn, because Lucia is a tech unicorn, right? And I've, always, I've done this at startups, like I, I used to be a VP marketing and I used to build content marketing machines in small, like early stage startups. All of a sudden I've got the resources of a tech unicorn. That's amazing. It's a huge privilege. And so in terms of your team, what does your team look like? And did you have to build the content team up from scratch then as well? Yeah. So I've been building slowly. I always say product marketing and content marketing are in a lot of ways one and the same. I do have a bit of a separation in terms of KPIs, right? What they're optimizing towards or what they're focusing on. But my team has two product marketing managers, one product marketing writer who does short form copywriting. So that's website, copy, one pagers, decks, short form emails. And then a competitive intelligence and positioning manager, which is amazing. Lucia's in a very, very competitive space. And so it's really important to have somebody dedicated to that. And then on the like really pure content marketing side of things, I have a content strategy lead and a content manager. And so the content strategy lead also keeps an eye and gatekeeps on all of the bottom funnel content that the PMMs are creating. But he's also thinking big in terms of bringing in influencers, pay to play and that kind of thing. And then my content manager runs the blog, runs the weekly newsletter and also helps with a lot of the short form collateral when needed. So we're still building. My, my content strategy literally joined a month ago, but we've started to work and it's looking wonderful so far. Awesome. And so as you've been growing the team, obviously with those key hires as you've come in over the past eight months, and clearly you've built teams in the other organizations that you've been working at, what do you consider to be really important aspects of that hiring process? Is there an approach that you follow when you are looking for those candidates? So I feel very strongly about this, actually. I this, the, hope I don't get a little carried in the, away with the story I'm about to tell, but it's an important story, right? So when COVID hit, I got promoted to VP marketing at the company that I was at. And because they were doing cutbacks and, and it was this weird thing where they laid off people and then they promoted me. And this was back in 2020. And over time, when things started to recover, I started having to interview people over Zoom, right? Because everybody was still at home working from home, but I, we were growing. And so I needed, at the time, I needed SDRs. I needed a growth marketing manager. And I started interviewing people on Zoom. And when you're trying to hire a person, Zoom can really be a barrier. It's a wall. It's not the same thing. It's just not the same thing. And so when I interview, by the way, I'm gonna, I've got a blurry background right now. When I interview, I never do that. When I interview, you see exactly where I am. When I in, if I interview somebody on Zoom, I start by telling them, interviewing is a terrible experience. I don't want to be that for you. And so you're going to hear hard questions from me, and I'm going to give you feedback on the spot about why yes or why no, and you will know in, the, in this moment whether I'm moving on with you or I'm not moving on with you because 
I there's no reason in this day and age to keep any sort of poker face. I'm not helping anybody, right? By by not telling them ex what I already know, right? There's no nobody. Don't think any value comes from being po a poker face during a hiring process. Because if you're worried or you're concerned about somebody, whether they're capable of doing something or not capable of doing something, then you need to voice that right away. I've often had, when interviewing candidates, I've often had very candid conversations with them. Like, hey, I think you're really strong here and here, but I'm concerned because you're missing this piece. Let's talk about that. So sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes they just didn't communicate well. And so I'm really glad I did that because I gave them the opportunity to be their best self. Like I said, I feel like you don't have experience here. And they can go, actually, I actually do have experience there. Let me tell you about it. So it's a really good opportunity for the candidate to know and be sure that they have done everything that they need to and that they've put their best foot forward. Um, and so that's my starting point. Another thing that I think is really important is I'm very transparent about where I am, what I am. I've got two kids. I've got a loud dog. If I'm from home, if you're hearing a dog, there's a dog. If, if my, one of my children, they know if they come in and I'm on a call, it doesn't matter who I'm on a call with, I introduce them. Hey, come in here. And I take that approach, not only during the hiring process, but also in the way I manage and also in the way my team communicates. And I've found that it has worked. And especially here, my previous jobs, it was a gradual hire. I hired all at once. And so we're a team right now that is two thirds new. There's two thirds of the team that have been at the company for three months or less. And when you're working with so many new people, it's so important to be transparent. And so I really literally, my motto is radical transparency in everything that I do. And that goes for the way I manage a team and build a team as well. So I like, I've got opinions. I can keep talking about this for an hour, but I'll stop there. But hopefully that'll, that'll give you an idea. Great answer. I've seen you voice opinions on LinkedIn. So I knew that you'd have a, an opinion on that, which is good. I really agree with you on what you said about in the moment in interviews, because when I used to work in my previous career before Content 10X and used to get asked to do manager interviews for the grads and things like that, HR a few times pulled me up because I didn't follow the corporate process and I gave feedback in the interview. I'd say at the end, I'm putting you through to the assessment center or something, but this that you said, you've, if, you know, you got to sort that out or, or I just say to them, I'm just going to conclude it. And I'm just letting you know, I shouldn't do this. You should hear in a week to two weeks, but I'm telling you now, I'm not going to put you forward, but I'm telling you face to face why, because I want you to do well in the future. And this is the reason why and that kind of thing. I used to do that as well. And I used to get phone calls from them saying, Amy, we have this process. They have to wait three days for this and then six days. And I used to say, well, I just wanted to give them something to help them on their way. So really resonate with that. <laughs> I'll tell you something like when I very clearly like when even when I was being hired here I used the same exact interview like the same exact interview process on the other side this is me here are my flaws here's where I'm good here's where I'm bad um but another thing also and this is this like sometimes I find there are candidates especially people who are more junior who are less experienced make terrible mistakes on their resumes just terrible sometimes I sit in front of a person and what they tell me and what I see on their resume two completely different things and it actually happened quite a bit, especially when I was hiring SDRs in my previous job, um, that I would sit down if I didn't bring somebody, if I didn't hire somebody, I would usually know with the junior people five minutes, 10 minutes in. And instead of instead of cutting the, the conversation short to five or 10 minutes, I'm like, this is a person going for their first job or their second job. I actually ended up using the second, like the last 20 minutes of this interview 
helping them polish their resume and change their resume so that I might not hire them, but they can put their best foot forward for where they are. I've actually had situations where a person applies for a job and I'm like, you're applying for the wrong jobs. This is not the jobs you need to hear. Here's what you should be searching for, like literally on that, because if I have that information, there's no reason for me not to give that to somebody. There's no reason. And they'll always remember that. And when they are the, when that right role comes along and they've developed as a professional and they're connected with you, but they'll always remember that it's, it's going to come back, isn't it? That kind of help I believe will always come back to you as well. So it's a good way to be. <laughs> I have evidence for that, by the way. Yeah. I've mentioned they've got a product marketing writer. That product marketing writer, I interviewed him for the, for one of those first SDR roles I was hiring. He interviewed for one of those SDR roles. He was a fairly senior SDR. And on that conversation, he said, actually, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to move to content. And I said, well, you go and move to content. And I gave him like a little bit of, hey, try this. And literally, I, he moved to content. And now he's working on my team as a copywriter. Brilliant. <laughs> what a great story. So there you have it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what I was saying. Just a super quick break from this conversation to let you know that if you're a B2B technology or professional services company and you want help with streamlining your content operations, outsourcing your content repurposing is the number one way to produce more high quality content and boost your ROI without putting any more pressure on your team. In fact, it could save your team up to 30 hours per week. We offer content repurposing services for video and audio content. Whether you have a show or you're launching a brand new one, Maybe you have an archive of awesome content, be it webinars or a virtual event, or you want help creating thought leadership content that we can repurpose. We've got you covered. Head to content10x.com to see how we can help you and start increasing your efficiency and the value you get from your content. Now back to the conversation. In terms of your overarching content strategy at Lucia, so I can see you've got, as you already mentioned, an active blog, case studies, great content on LinkedIn, multi-format content, newsletter, bit of a play around on TikTok. What's your overarching content strategy for this year? What's the key focus? So can I be absolutely honest? I don't know yet. I do not know. We have a challenge in the way that we structure our content in that we have the individual contributor on one side who goes through the product-led growth motion. And then we've got the decision makers on the other side that we need to speak to. But because we've been a product-led growth company for as long as we have, 90% of our audience is SDRs. And so we always are currently riding a line between thought leadership content for decision makers and thought leadership content for SDRs and individual contributors. I'm going to stop for a second and take it one step up, one level up and give you like a, a bird's eye view on this. We recently finished a repositioning process for the entire company. Okay. What was happening was that we were still talking as a small add-on tool where we have in the last year and a half become a very robust platform. And so our site was not talking consistently. Everything that was done was talking to that end user. We had products now that were relevant to that end user's manager and their manager and other personas. And so in the last four months, we went through a full process, me and my competitive intelligence and positioning manager, where we interviewed the company, 
interviewed teams, interviewed customers, did a lot of research and built a complete repositioning plan. And now we're taking that and we're bringing that into the website and we're bringing that into the blog and we're bringing it into our paid strategy. It's going everywhere. It's going into our enablement. And for us right now, it's let's first go by the repositioning. Let's start there. We know who our key personas are. We know what they find important. And we're writing this fine line between individual contributor and decision maker. And what's, what we're actually planning on doing, um, and we already are doing, is making data-driven decisions here. All right, so we're testing things. We're testing messaging. We're, te we're testing articles. The fact that we've started, we launched a weekly newsletter has really been huge for us because we constantly learn more and more about our audience and what they connect with and what they don't connect with. And we can, we're now working on getting the right analytics to see what business results actually come out from that. So we are starting with we don't know and building out a strategy that will help us discover. And so that's where we are. I think we're going to probably have a governing strategy within the next couple of months. But for now, we're testing. We know we want to be accessible. We know Lucia's brand is a very much a disruptive kind of tone of voice. We were not very corporate in how we speak as a company. And I think that's wonderful. And we're bringing that into the content that we create. We're trying to figure out how we can be both disruptive and valuable and speak to decision makers within that tone of voice. There's a lot of things that we're doing to just try to lock it down. And probably a couple of months down, we'll have enough data to say, okay, this is how we're going for the next year, you know? Yeah. These things take time to, to lock it down and make that right decision and then stick to it. In terms of AI, I'd love to know. So obviously everyone's talking about ChatGPT and the role of AI in in, in everything, but let's talking specifically about the content creation process. What are your views or are you incorporating AI into your processes, experimenting with it? You want to hear a fun fact? Yeah. Remember that company that laid off 25% of the company and then promoted me to VP marketing? That company is now called Anyword. And as VP marketing, I helped bring to market an AI copywriter based on GPT-3, which is the original language model that was in chat GPT. So I brought that, 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 like I brought that product to market. And so I was a VP marketing of a generative AI tool for a year. And I, and by the way, full disclosure, I, one of the reasons that I left is because I took issue with it. it listen, AnyWord's a great platform. And I think if, if you want to look at them or Jarvis, which is, or Jas, I think they renamed Jasper. Sorry, they used to be called Jarvis, now they're Jasper, whatever. Or, yeah, a co copy AI. All of the all of those people in the market, what were they actually doing? They were actually there were their skins on the open AI thing where they build the prompts. So today, ChatGPT is all about like how do you talk to it? What is the right prompt? And these companies were basically using open AI's technology and just building the prompts and adjusting the answers. Here's my takeaways from bringing that to market and where it is today. Okay, I do think that there's a lot of value in it from an ideation perspective. I think it can give a lot. I think especially the leaps that I think the leap in chat GPT is not is the way that the technology understands the human more than what it creates. Right. I think that the leap here was not about generating the text. It was about understanding what it's being asked to do. Right. It's about reading the natural language, not generating it. But the point is this, I think as an ideation tool, I think as a tool to help you focus uh, to come up, maybe come up with good ideas if you're stuck. I think it's a great tool. I think that the danger 
of this is mediocrity. There's always going to be junk content on the inter internet. Okay. We know this, right? But like the amount of junk SEO content that's out there is ridiculous. And I do think that, by the way, one of, one of my philosophies ongoing is that I never do junk SEO content. If you look at our blog, you'll see that even the SEO, there's a lot more SEO content than you think because it's all wrapped in value. I brought in a freelance writer who I've worked with for a really long time. And she knows my rule number one is no such thing as junk content. You're going to give people useful stuff every single time. And I think that does help us stand out. But the problem is that you start getting, like for every good actor who uses uh, ChatGPT or any of these generative, generative AI tools who use it for ideation to create things that are creative, there's a gazillion bad actors who are going to exploit it and treat it lazily and create a lot of trash. So when I look at it from a content marketing standpoint, I would, and as a writer, like in my soul, in my soul, I'm first and foremost a writer. I didn't start in marketing. I studied, I formally studied writing amongst other things. And I still, and I think that the things that work best on ChatGPT are when a human is involved, right? The first version you get of something on ChatGPT is never the best version. It's always going to be how the human goes and adjusts. And for, literally, we did an experiment at Lucia, one of our, one, the first, literally the first newsletter that came out, our first weekly, had an experiment where we put a chat GPT generated email sequence against an SDR, human SDR generated email sequence against a chat GPT email sequence that had human intervention. And what won in terms of reply rates and open rates is the one is the chat GPT plus the human. Interesting. Not just the human then. Not just the human. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because that actually, I don't, I think AI is inevitable. There's, it, 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 the genie's been let out of the bottle. They're not coming back. And I think that a, a responsible marketer will take these tools and use them responsibly. There still is a brain behind it. What concerns me are the probably millions of irresponsible or bad actors or I don't want to I don't want to insult people who use but there's a lot more potential for abuse than there is for heightening and leveraging right so people are more likely to abuse it than they are to leverage it and so I think it's on us as marketers honestly on technology companies to, to figure out how to police this in a way that that solves for quality if that's what it comes down to I, that's my big fear is mediocrity if we stop using those muscles in our brains, we're going to become way more tolerant of less value and mediocrity. And that, I don't want that to happen. No, <laughs> neither do I. No, I completely agree with you. And yeah, we need to uh, improve the quality of what goes in and that will improve the quality of what comes out. And there's a lot more to be done with that, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned when you were sharing the example that uh, you'd you, about the SEO content and that you have a writer that you work with. And I wondered when you said about freelance, it's a good segue into the next question I wanted to ask. So obviously director of content, product marketing, the key thing is making those decisions over what skills you want to retain in-house, what expertise, and then where you might look to external partners. Do you have feelings on specifically what you would always or prefer to look to outsource versus always keep in-house and the kind of like partnerships that you like to build externally? Because I was a VP at early stage startups for a very long time, I worked with freelancers a lot. 
And so there have been a, a bunch of occasions where my entire marketing team was me and vendors. Like that, that is my last job. I had, I managed 12 vendors, 12 vendors. And I had people too, but it was mostly vendors. And so I think a lot of, there's a lot to be said about having outsourced content writers. I think that they give a lot of value for scale. But if I'm being absolutely honest, the brains and the strategy, I want to keep close to me and in-house. Because here's the thing about outsourcing that I think people forget maybe is, I know that this might be controversial because I know there's probably a lot of freelance content writers who are listening to this. But I'm going to be really honest. When I'm, because that's what I do, did you notice? When I'm managing an external provider, the onus to perform is still on me. The accountability is still on me, right? And so I might have somebody doing the practical nuts and bolts of creating. I might even have somebody who's ideating, who's giving me examples. But at the end of the day, I'm still accountable for those results. And that puts a level of pressure on me that's really hard. And so when there is a situation where there is a critical role that needs to own something that's results oriented, I don't want to outsource that. I want to leave that in-house. Now, I think this goes, I think there's some exceptions to the rule. Like, for example, I have the most amazing SEO contractor. I've been working with her for years and she owns her S. She comes in and she doesn't, she doesn't just listen to my instructions. She takes initiative. She finds opportunities. She's literally the best contractor I've ever worked with because she proactively looks at things. She cares about growth and she demonstrates that, right? So if I find a freelancer who's capable of taking that level of accountability, I'd be happy to work with them for, and like I said, I've taken her, just like my the writer that I take with me from company to company, it's because they own their stuff. They're consistent. They listen to feedback. I can set it and forget it and let that happen and I can trust them. But working with contractors nine times out of 10 means that you're still owning the results and you're still accountable for the results. And that's a huge challenge. And so I hire for ownership. I, hunt, I hire for initiative. I hire for people who know how to pick up balls that were dropped. It's funny, like there's been a bit of a consistent theme with other leaders in the B2B marketing space on that question. And it often is SEO support is often outsourced. As you said, usually working with some good writers as well on a more freelance basis. I think the other ones that often come up are paid social and also those businesses that have launched things like podcasts sometimes outsource that side of things. But yeah, there's quite a theme that comes up there. In terms of content marketing initiatives, could you tell me about one of your best or maybe we'll say most memorable content marketing initiatives across your career? So not necessarily at least I know still fairly early days and from everything you've said in terms of content as well, but um, a standout content marketing initiative, memorable, doesn't need to be the absolute best, that's high pressure. And what, why was it standout? What was it? What, what happened that made it? really stand out to you and any kind of problems maybe that you had that you were able to overcome? There's something I'm incredibly proud of. Actually, I, my, my lecture at Content Marketing in this World this year was about this. So like I mentioned before, COVID hit 25% of the marketing team, uh, of the, not the marketing team, 25% of the company was laid off. A lot of the marketing team left. Before that, there was a point where they kept everybody trying to figure out what's going on. But everybody was working two days a week. So they're working at 50% and they were paying 50%. And 
there's no paid happening. There's everything kind of stops. And this company, AnyWord, before it changed into AnyWord, into generative AI, um, what we were doing, we were uh, the, the, this arm of the company still exists. It's called Kiwi, K-E-Y-W-E-E. And what we were doing is basically using technology to optimize content ads on Facebook. Okay, so we managed a lot of ad spend. And the first thing to go when COVID hit was marketing budgets, it was advertising budgets. So literally lost 70% of our revenue overnight. Um, and it was the situation where, okay, what do we do now? How can we get this together? And we ended up saying, okay, what do we have? We have emails. We have a really good database of people. And what can we do right now to give value? Everybody knows what's going on. Let's tell them what's going on. And so we literally, I would never do this today because people are so fatigued about this, but we put together an email program that was three emails a week. And I'll talk about the first and the last one very quickly, but the effective one was really the, the middle one. And that's the one that survived over time. But the first one on Mondays, we'd call the data dive, which is we would look at CPCs, CPMs on Facebook, like trends sharing, hey, this is up, this is going down. This is what people are spending right now. It was very helpful to the people who were on our list. This was stuff they were really contending with and trying to sell up and trying to understand. And then I'll talk to the last part. The last part is actually traditional for Kiwi at the time, which is what we call the Friday Reader, which was basically a roundup of publisher news over the last week, kind of a little bit of ad tech, a little bit of publishers. And that was something that we had done the whole time, but we doubled down on making it much more immediate and content. The big thing was the Wednesday email. And that Wednesday email we called the deep dive. I broke every single email rule in that email. Okay. I, on average, that email was 1,200 words long. It was not, it was a blog posted email form. But what it was, I would take the data from the week and I would look at trends and I would externalize those trends. And it was amazing because we had all this money doesn't lie. And so when something works, then people spend and double down on it and increase it. And so I, every week I would go in, like I knew I would send this out on Wednesday. On Monday, I would go in and see where the money went in the last week. And then I, would, I wasn't a data person before, but I taught myself pivot tables and I taught myself like really simple analysis tools. And I started looking at trends and, and I'm going to actually, I didn't fully teach myself. Actually, there's a really super talented person who did it before me. And then what, like, he, he gave me the tools to do it myself, and I was terrible on it. So when I say I taught myself, it was just that I sucked, and then I made myself better at it. Full credit goes to Asaf if he's watching this. He taught me. But, um, but anyways, so what I would do is rec try to recognize trends. And we saw, we caught some things really early before a lot of people saw it. So, for example, the, the really dramatic shift into e-commerce that was happening basically live. We saw that happen in real time in terms of ad spend. That, by the way, that trend that we caught onto, got, they like talked about it in marketing land afterwards. Like we got picked up as a result of that. Uh, we were seeing that people, more people were signing up for newsletters and publishers and buying paid subscriptions to news, to, to news outlets. So again, now when we look at that, that we know this already, we know this is happening. When it, we caught it while it was happening in real time and we could literally tell people, hey, you need to double down on the spend that you're doing to, to bring in paid subscribers because everybody's doing this right now. And it came to the point that I would have people email me 
<clears throat> hey, my colleague just forwarded this to me. Can you please add me to your mailing list? Really? <laughs> this happened. We would publish it on the blog usually about two days later, right? But I would get probably three or four opt-in requests a week, which is something, it's an impossible standard. I've never gotten that since. I'm telling my content team now, we want people to ask to opt-in, but I mean, let's be honest, like that hardly, but it was amazing. And our first opportunities came from that as well. So I would always at the end be like, hey, what are you up to? Tell me. And some people would reply to me and tell me what they're looking at. And because I'd established Kiwi as a leader in that space, we know what we're doing. We're seeing the big picture. When the time came to restart ad spend, people started coming to us and initiating contact again. And when we were ready to start doing more demand generation focused things, we took all of my deep dives and we took them in and put them in an ebook. Amazing. Brilliant. And that <laughs> became our lead generation. So anyway, I'm so incredibly proud of that. Yeah, that's awesome. And the fact that you then you were able to create that ebook. People saying, please, can you add me to your newsletter? Please, can I opt in? Where can I opt in? Is definitely like a sign of something huge, isn't it? So that's awesome. Couple of takeaway quick fire questions, Kate. First one, what tip would you give your younger self starting out in content marketing? What one kind of takeaway tip would you give to yourself? It would be Everyone is replaceable and that's okay. So don't take things personally. I like it. <laughs> what is an typically overlooked or undervalued tool that you would recommend to marketers like yourself? People get there. There's different platforms for this. I really like tracking mentions, right? So I, there's actually, I like mention specifically the product is called mention as a tool because it catches things that might not all of the other tracking tools get if somebody mentions you on social media like there's a lot of different ways and i know there's other tools that do this too but i always find it's a really it's just a really it's an anecdotal moment in time but it really helps you track success and understand where you stand in every every moment and if you're especially if you're a startup trying to gain traction it's a really it's a nice graph to show the ceo we like a nice graph so that's good <laughs> and finally if you could create any kind of content for Lucia, and you've got just this unlimited budget. So we're talking you could have A-list celebrities in a TV ad or something like that. What would you create? What would you be going to? <laughs> oh, I totally do a feature film. Feature film, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to be in a leading role? Michael B. Jordan, but not for any other reason except for the fact that that man is just gorgeous. You get to work with him. Yeah, you'll get to direct that, so I don't blame you. <laughs> Good answer. Then they're last. So on B2B content strategist, we want to speak to true leaders in the content and marketing world, B2B tech in particular, like yourself. Who do you think we should invite next? Oh, geez. Okay. I don't know this team personally, but Gong, IO, their content is amazing. It's funny, we had Devin Reed from Gong on the podcast last season, but he left Gong, so he's at Clary now. So we were due to speak to his replacement, who had some content now at Gong. So yeah, I know they stand out, yeah, like really good content. Yeah, good shout. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been an awesome conversation, and there were just so many points at which we, I could have just carried on talking to you for ages about those topics, but... There's not enough time in the day, is there? So thank you so much for your time, for being so willing to share so much awesome tips, advice, information. 
where would you like people to go to connect with you? <laughs> I don't do Twitter. I'm terrible at it. I do LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn. Cool. We will provide a link over to you so people can go connect. If you connect with Imbal, let her know that you heard her speak on B2B content strategist when you send over that connection request that would be cool yeah so thank you really appreciate it great conversation i'm sure everyone listening will agree with me so thank you sure thanks for having me thanks for listening to this episode of b2b content strategist do let me know what you thought of our conversation by getting in touch with me on social media You'll find Content 10X on all the social platforms or search for Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X on LinkedIn. To find out more about streamlining your content marketing processes and specifically about content repurposing, check out our website, content10x.com, where you'll find information and resources that will help you achieve more with your content more efficiently. And if you're looking for a partner to outsource your content repurposing and distribution to, get in touch as we offer a world-class, fully end-to-end, done-for-you content repurposing service. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and I'll catch you in the next one.